TD Club. It is playoff time. I am Sean Curtis at Sean Curtis 430. Mike Mastovich across the table from me, as always. He can be found on Twitter at Masty81. We're in the playoffs. It doesn't feel like that long ago we were talking about the beginning of the regular season. Kind of anticipating who in who would make the playoffs, where they would go, how far they would go if there would be any surprises. Ten weeks into the season, we know the surprises. There might be some more, but we have an idea of what our November is going to look like. And before we get to that, we have some October business to finish up. Mike, Week 10 recaps. We'll start with the Appalachian Bowl, our biggest game of Week 10. Yeah, it was great, uh, great outing uh, at Penn's Manor High School, Pat Corrigan Field. Uh, a little bit of, I don't know if you'd call it nasty weather, but wet and um, thankfully a uh, great artificial turf field. But Wimber... Showed its, uh, you know, its muscles right off the bat. Uh, John Schuster ran the first play from scrimmage, 63 yards for a touchdown, followed a block by Nick Dom. And uh, then early in the second quarter, Nick Dom ran his own 84-yard touchdown, and suddenly the Ramblers were up 14-0. Those big plays and what has been the trademark of Wimber all year is that lockdown defense enabled the Ramblers to win the Appalachian Bowl 42 to nothing. It was the first Westpac win over the Heritage in the five-year history of the reboot of the Appalachian Bowl. And Ligonier Valley, formerly of the Heritage Conference before joining the Whippeal, had won the first four Appalachian Bowl games. So Wimber 9-0, and they've outscored its past two opponents, both very good teams, by the way, by a combined 104-7. to And going back to last week, 42-0. I took Camry Heights in the expert picks. I will own that. And it was a coin flip for me. So while I was not shocked that Winber won this game, as I am following the updates on Twitter and I just see that Winber number growing and growing and growing, I am actually just shocked that Winber was that much better than Camry Heights, which was a darn good football team and still is. Yeah, the defense just, uh, you know, they're – I don't want to say quietly because they've been acknowledged throughout the year, but everybody always sees the big offensive numbers. And you talk about John Schuster and over the past month, Nick Dom, when Schuster uh, was battling a little bit of a shoulder injury. You've got Aiden Gray at quarterback and then Keith Charney's big playmaker, Dylan Tomlinson. You've got so many weapons on offense, but all those guys are pretty darn good on defense as well. And they have just shut down teams, um, limiting first downs, limiting the, the big splash plays. And, uh, you know, a guy like Ryan Huluska for Cambria Heights, just a phenomenal player, Ty Stockley, quarterback. Uh, they, they had their moments, but Wimber was able to, you know, when they did bend a little bit, they never broke. Another big Westpac Heritage game that actually went into the favor of the Westpac. So two big wins for the Westpac in this weekend. That was Berlin Brothers Valley defeating Homer Center, and that was at Memorial Stadium in Homer City. Mike, you were there. What what happened? Yeah, another one with the uh, – it was just a bad weather weekend last last weekend. Now, this one was not on artificial turf. So it was uh, – both coaches talked about having to contend with the wet and muddy uh, field conditions. But uh, both teams so physical. Uh, Berlin ended up winning 13-12. Just, just a phenomenal game uh, in terms of if you want to see the old blue collar, rely on those linemen, uh, big physical play. Uh, that's the kind of game it was. Homer Center took an early 6-0 lead. 
And then uh, the Mountaineers scored the next two touchdowns. The first one, uh, they clanked the extra points. So it was 6-6 for a while. Mountaineers go up uh, 13-6. Uh, Pace Prosser had a pair of touchdown passes. Just uh, the sophomore quarterback just continues to impress as the season goes on. And then uh, after that, um, Homer Center gets back within a point, but the uh, the Mountaineers just kind of you know did what they had to do to hold them off. Bishop McCourt Catholic was at Westmont Hilltop this past Friday. Actually, no. Westmont Hilltop was at Bishop McCourt Catholic. There was a big deal behind this, and we talked about it last week. We've been talking about it for weeks, but it finally happened. Sargent Stadium at the point has its new turf, and a game was played on that turf. Yeah, finally. Uh, everybody had waited for it. I, I actually covered Friday afternoon. They had the unveiling of the turf, and of course, as we keep talking about last week, and the rain kind of messed that up, so it had to be held underneath the uh, bleachers in the concourse to keep everybody out of the rain. But we had a chance to check it out. It, uh, the turf looks beautiful. The next phase that started on November 1st was uh, work on upgrading the lights, LED lights, which is going to, in the long run, save the city a lot of money, plus be a huge improvement. They're working on the sound system, which anybody has been down there knows that will be a huge improvement. And then on the field Friday night, Bishop McCord had waited so long. They played some games at Shade. They played at St. Francis some home games. They played at Trojan Stadium a home game. So they had been waiting. They... Uh, as Coach Tom Smith said, they, they rolled the dice. They held off on their both their homecoming and senior night, held at the same last game of the year, hoping that it would be at the point, and it was. And um, they just rolled. I mean, it was uh, quarterback Tristan Freneri was 21-29 passing for 315 yards and two touchdowns. Freneri also ran for three scores, so he was involved in five touchdowns overall. And Bishop McCourt Catholic, 32-20 winner over Westmont Hilltop. On in the first game on the new turf at Sargent Stadium at the point. You mentioned the LED lights. And for me, one of the great charms of Sargent Stadium at the point, point stadium, whatever you call it, is the years. It, it seems like it was a yearly occurrence during the Triple ABA tournament when the light tower, one of the light towers, maybe multiple towers, would just go out. And while it was a nightmare if you were in the newsroom or it was probably an annoyance if you were at the game. That was just part of the charm of Point Stadium was just, let's go out at any time. Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, George R. Curio III, the uh, head of the Johnstown Old Timers, would agree how charming it was. But, uh, yeah, that was just one of those things. And, and it seemed like it was every year. It wasn't every year, but it was it was getting it too annoying. It felt like it was. Yes. And it always happened the worst scenario, just uh, – jam-packed crowds and everybody getting into the game, and then boom, the lights are out, you have a delay. And I remember the one time it was um, right before a game started, and I told George he looked like a, a police officer in an episode of a TV police drama because they had a uh, police vehicle was in the middle of the field, and George was <laughs> leaning on the door holding the, uh, you know, the handheld uh thing you talk into yeah, no and, microphone. yeah and he, he was he was yelling uh, not yelling but he was telling the crowd what was going on and giving them instructions on what was going to happen next and I, I always joke with him I said you look like you were in an episode of Hawaii Five O or something you're standing there ready to you know charge into the building or something but uh, yeah we could now put a little humor in it and hopefully uh, we won't have to talk about it uh, again once all this uh, renovations and improvements are completed. And having been to some sites with those LED lights, Trojan Stadium, Forest Hills, I believe Richland has them. I Richland. haven't been to Richland yet. They make a great improvement. It's almost like you're playing in daylight. Yeah, and I remember uh, one of the big ones, uh, 
I think it was two years ago, pre-COVID, was Weller Field for Ligonier Valley. Uh, our photographers, who it means more to them, uh, they always talked about how tough it was to shoot games at Weller Field because it was so dark. I mean, maybe not for the naked eye like uh, a regular fan. It might seem a little darker, but you don't really care. A photographer, that means everything. And whenever those LED lights went in, uh, I was over there with John Rakoski that year, and we didn't know it was happening. It just happened. One week we were there, and there were no LED lights. And next week we went, or the next home game we went, there were lights. And John, you would have thought it was Christmas morning. He was just so happy. <laughs> and, you know, what helps, what makes that situation worse sometimes in, like, dim lights, I, I, maybe dim is not the right word, but, like, when you had the lights like they previously had at Weller Field, is the teams that wear those dark monochromatic uniforms with a dark accent. So you had Ligonier Valley always wearing black uniforms with deep red numbers. And sometimes it is a little harder for the photographers and the cameras to pick that stuff up. As a fan, you can look down and say, okay, hey, that's number 12 with the football. All is good. For a photographer, it can be a little... Yeah, it's more, more important. They gotta, they've got to write cut line information. <laughs> All right, moving into this week, playoff time is upon us. Two big games that I'm looking at here. First one, you have it in the District 5-8 Class 2A bracket. It's a semifinal game. Berlin Brothers Valley at Winber. This is a rematch of a very intense football game that happened in Berlin a few weeks back. And I feel there's going to be a different vibe in this game because Winber's played a couple four-quarter games since then. So it's going to be a very intense 48 minutes. You know Berlin's going to be very intense throughout 48 minutes. Winber knows it has to be now. Yeah, I talked to uh, both of the head coaches uh, earlier this week, and um, both are looking forward to it. That first game at Snyder Berlin Complex, very physical game. As you said, Winber was still at that time uh, getting accustomed to playing everybody. In fact, my lead was they were used to not having all their guys in the game at the end, but not this way because so many guys were injured in that game. John Schuster uh, had that shoulder aggravation and – uh, most of the other ones were like severe cramp-type injuries. They weren't season-ending injuries, but uh, and then others were, uh, you know, out a few week-type things. So that was such a physical game. Wimber wins at 20-6 to that day. Uh, even without Schuster, Aiden Gray went out, Dylan Tomlinson went out, uh, a couple others. Uh, I, I think the standout freshman, Luke Hostetler, went out. Um, most of the second half, none of those guys were there. So that – was pretty telling that, you know, the Ramblers were able to hold off a very good Berlin team. And then Berlin, they had to recover from that game. You know, they lost two of three games. They came back and beat Portage the next week. And that time, Portage was undefeated. Portage was up 16-0. Berlin comes back to win 29-22. But then they fall at home to Southern Huntington next week. So that was two out of three losses before coming back with that big win at Homer Center. So uh, Doug Paul said the key is playing uh, disciplined assignment defense against a very talented Ramblers team. Now your eyes saw not only that Winber Berlin game, but also Winber play Cambria Heights. And you mentioned how physical that game with Berlin was. In your opinion, was that game more physical than what Winber played against Cambria Heights last week? Because I think a lot of people who know high school football in this area think of Cambria Heights as a team that's just going to line up and punch you in the mouth for 48 minutes. And for Winber to do that to Cambria Heights, to beat them by six touchdowns, you know, but still, was Cambria Heights more physical than Berlin? Like, what 
should somebody expect to see on Friday? I'll tell you what, they, they were, in terms of physicality, they were very similar games. It's just, uh, and I think you hit on something there, Wimber is now becoming a little more used to everybody being in there. And they also threw a couple new wrinkles in. Um, I don't know how totally new, but they, they relied a couple series on Keith Charney running out of the Wildcat, and that was effective. Um, they they uh, Nick Dom has emerged uh, the, over the last two or three games. Uh, I had in my preview, I think it was in two games, he rushed for over 300 yards and four touchdowns in the last two games with uh, with them trying to rest Schuster a little more. I mean, Schuster still got his 95 yards the, the one week when they rested him. <laughs> but, but um, you know, so they, they've had a lot of different people step up. But back to the original point, Cambry Heights was a very physical team. Berlin, it was just a physical game, and guys got injured in that game. That wasn't so much the case um, playing on the, artif- or the artificial turf out at Penn's Manor. Um, you know, it was uh, – Pretty, pretty physical game, but they came out of it in pretty good shape. And it's a case of iron sharpening iron. So whoever comes out of that semifinal is going to be very battle-tested, whether they wind up playing Westinghouse or Chestnut Ridge in the 5-8, 2-A finals. Yeah, Chestnut Ridge has you know, won it the last five years. Um, and they're kind of not being talked about as much because they're 6-4. and four. They have a couple tough losses. They had a crazy game against Forest Hills in the middle of the season that went back and forth and just amazing numbers statistically, and they end up losing at the end. But they're 6-4. and four. Now, Westinghouse was 8-0 going into last week, and um, I was following Twitter. I think it was on Friday afternoon, and, and they, they got upset. So they were, they're 8-1, but they still maintained enough points to hold the, the lead in the 5-8 double-A. Uh, Moving on to the double-A bracket in District 6. Cambry Heights, despite the loss last week, remains at the top seed. They won a tiebreaker over Bellwood Annis on virtue of winning percentage of opponents. So Cambry Heights is the top seed. And their reward, Damon Crawley and Forest Hills. Yeah, so it, it's uh, interesting because Forest Hills coming in that game 5-5. Five and five, Cambry Heights obviously 9-1. and one. But the Rangers had to win three straight games and four of their past six just to get into the playoffs. So they've been playing pressure-type football over the last more than a month. So uh, they have, as you said, Damon Crawley, 2,000-plus rushing yards, averaging over uh, 200 a, a game, obviously, in 10 games. And uh, the the Rangers, you know, they've improved as, as the season went on. And, you know, we keep talking about those wins, but – Three of their losses during those growing pains were three losses by a combined nine points. They lost by uh, one point to Bishop Guilfoyle. They lost by two points to Westmont. And they lost by six points to Central Cambria. So those those are games could have gone either way. Um, so it, including in the other way was the Chestnut Ridge game could have gone either way. That was back and forth, but they, they came out on top. So, like, this is a team that's been in a lot of tough games. Now, Cambria Heights, I'm sure they're going to be smarting after uh, – the first loss of the year, they've got a great coaching staff there. They've got so much talent. Uh, you know, we, we always talk about Haluska and, and Stockley, but they've, they've got some other guys. Uh, you know, on defense, they had a guy, Bailey Horvath, uh, blocked a punt and an extra point. You know, that's pretty, uh, pretty physical there. And um, I think they're going to be fired up. They're going to be playing on their home turf uh, first time in a while. Well, first time, uh, you know, Coach Jared Lewis said that that would be the first time they're hosting a uh, district playoff game. So that I, I remember when they had the big game, the Cold Bowl, earlier in the year, they were talking about a line of traffic that went back down into Pattonboro. 
So I'd imagine the excitement level is going to be sky high this week. And I, I think there's going to be an extra emotional boost in this game because you have Cambria Heights, who was a member of the Laurel Highlands Athletic Conference until 2020. The Highlanders made the jump to the Heritage Conference this season. And they're playing an old L-hack mate in Forest Hill. So there's going to be a little extra juice, I think, because I think there might be some talk on the outside about Cambria Heights. Oh, well, they did it in the Heritage Conference at smaller schools. Yeah. They wouldn't have gone nine and one in the L hack. And Cambria Heights is going to say, well, hey, like, we're still a good football team. We were a district finalist last year. We can line up and play good ball against anybody. So I think there's going to be some extra emotion, a little bit of extra mustard on this one. And that makes for even better football when you have that juice. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, there's other little subplots, too. Uh, people don't remember it too much, but uh, Justin Myers coached at Cambria Heights for, for several years and, uh, you know, before he went back to the Rangers as a, an assistant at first and then replaced uh, legendary John or uh, Don Bailey. And, uh, you know, so there, there's stuff like that. And, and as you said, former conference mates uh, meeting again. So Southern Huntington as at Richland. Richland has a three seed at eight and two, behind two nine and one teams in Cambria Heights and Belladanas. That might be one of the most dangerous three seeds we've had in recent memory because you're talking about a multi-time defending district champion, and it's the old Ric Flair adage: "To be the man, you got to beat the man." Somebody's got to beat Richland until somebody beats Richland. They're the most dangerous team in this field. Yeah, they, they had to work on rebuilding that line that was just simply dominant last year, and they lost a, a great chunk of that offensive and defensive line to graduation. And those guys have matured as the year's gone on, and they, they've been tough, and they've given you know, time to Kellen Stahl, who's now uh, our Tribune Democrat coverage area leading passer with 1,760 passing yards. Now, I mean, he's behind in his conference – uh, Hohenstein of Central obviously is higher, but uh, that's outside the coverage area. But anyway, he's given given time to Kellen Stahl and then you know room for playmakers like uh, Griffin Larue and Graydon Lewis to gain chunks of yardage either running the ball or after catches. So uh, you know the Rams are just an experienced team. They've got a definitely one of the most experienced coaching staffs that makes great adjustments. You know, led by Brandon Bailey and his staff, just uh, phenomenal underneath. Uh, you know, I've, I have to sit with them in the press box a lot of times because there's not much room in that press box. So they have four or five coaches there, and then two media members are usually squeezed next to them. So we, we hear all kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> in District 6 3A, two games involving area teams in the semifinals. First one, fourth seeded Westmont Hilltop at 3 and 7 at undefeated. Laurel Highlands Athletic Conference champion Central 10 and 0. And this may not go well for the Hilltoppers. Well, they go in there obviously as decided underdogs. I mean, so basically you have nothing to lose, but you're driving that, you know, it's an hour plus drive. John Murkowski and I drove that the earlier in the season for the Penn Cambria game. So it's it's not like your typical road trip from like Westmont to say Forest Hills or Richland. So you're you're going to be on a bus for quite a while. And then Central just Hohenstein is unbelievable, and, and they've got Parker Gregg and, uh, 
know, they've, they've got so many weapons on offense, and their defense has just played lights out through the whole season. So that's that's a, a tall order. But, uh, hey, that's uh, as, as the old cliche, that's why they play the games and why, uh, you know, during March Madness, sometimes you're talking about 16 seeds upsetting, uh, you know, a high seed in, in, in the first round. So uh, you never know what happens, but uh, the Hilltoppers would definitely be decided underdogs. Two weeks ago, at Trojan Stadium, Central defeated Westmont Hilltop 48-7. to So if Westmont Hilltop pulls off the upset, major kudos yeah. to Pat Barron and the staff and also the athletes. But that I would be just, something they'd be talking about statewide. Uh, you know, it would be huge. I mean, you're talking about a state-ranked team in Central. I, I mean, the clear-cut favorite in District 6-3A, I would yeah. think. Penn Cambry is at second seed Tyrone. This is a battle of five and five teams. And I, I think this is a big step up for Penn Cambria. They expected to be in the hunt. They were in the hunt. And now they've got a chance to make a statement with a win at Tyrone. Yeah, they had that uh, the great start. They were, I believe it was 4-0 when they went to Central. And uh, um, that kind of set them back with that loss. And, and they had a couple other tough losses. So it's important to finish strong. And uh, there's no better stage than to try to, to uh, right that ship and get that nice ending than in the uh, district playoffs. We have one regular season game on the slate. We'll get to... District 7 and District 6-1A in a second, but one regular season game. It's Everett at Connemaw Township. The Indians at 3-5 and five were ineligible for the District 5 postseason to begin with, though I don't think they would have qualified. And Everett at 1-8. and eight. So this is a, a rare Week 11 regular season game. Yeah, get that experience in, and whenever you know you're not eligible to be in the playoffs uh, for, for no bad reason or anything, so you might as well try to get something going. And Township had a couple other games during the season wiped out uh, by COVID-related things or scheduling quirks, things like that. So it's nice to have that game and get another game under your belt. They have so many underclassmen, talented underclassmen, including the quarterback, Tanner Shirley. So uh, you'll get a little more experience and get ready for the next step. In District 7 in the AA bracket, Ligonier Valley as a nine seed at eight and two will visit Southside at seven and three. So it's a nine eight game. Presumably the winner is going to see Steel Valley, which is the top seed in District Seven. Uh, the Rams, after that little hiccup, after a loss to Steel Valley and that forfeit to Sarah Catholic, rebounded well. They won. They took care of their own, and now they're in the postseason for the first time in District Seven since their return. Yeah, this is great for the program. I mean, we we. Often to say you got to credit Coach Roger Beidle and his staff. That's another uh, definitely experienced staff that makes great adjustments in game and pre uh, during the week getting teams ready for the, the opponent. So yeah, I, I mean I just think what they've done is phenomenal. We talked about it before last year. They they did enough to just establish themselves as a, a very solid team in the Whippeal and they they took care of their home games to keep that streak going. Now this year they took it up another level. Uh, to, you know, have only two losses and advance to the playoffs. And, you know, if they can pull off this upset, that's just another big step on, you know, in their uh, journey in the WPIAL. One game on Saturday in our coverage area, District 6, Class 1A, Claysburg Kimmel travels to Connemaw Valley for a 1 p.m. kickoff. And the Blue Jays had had a little bit of a stumble at West Shemokin. This is a team that two weeks prior – 
The Blue Jays had beaten by 50 points. It didn't go so well for Connemaw Valley last week at West Shemokin, but here's your redemption game. Yeah, you got to come back strong or else the season's over. And that was kind of a, a game last week that at West Shemokin where, you know, you're looking at thinking, man, this, this could be a problem because West Shemokin has played – you know, pretty tough throughout this whole season. They put up a lot of points for most games. I was actually stunned when Connemore Valley routed them as badly as they did. And I talked to um, a couple people, you know, at Connemore Valley, uh, not not on the coaching staff, but I was just some people very close to the program and, uh, you know, without revealing their names. But I, I said, what do you think of this game? And they said, well, you know, as, as long as, uh, you know, they, they they do what they're supposed to do, they, they should be okay. And then, then you know, suddenly uh, – you know, you're, you're, I don't know how much the bad weather played a fact. I, and, I, you know, just West Shemokin just took control of the game and, and won despite some solid efforts from Connemore Valley. They, they still had, you know, a few of their guys still did what they normally do, but just um, couldn't get over the hump in terms of beating them. You've hinted to some numbers during this episode so far, Mike, but what are some other stats that you're looking at after Week 10 that stick out to you? Well, yeah, obviously the big one, and it's worth repeating, is, uh, you know, Damon Crawley, 2,081 rushing yards, 178 carries, so he's averaging over 200 a game in those 10 games. And right behind one of the guys that, you know, mentioned in the in the West Shemokin Conemaw Valley thing is Conemaw Valley's Logan Kent. He's been uh, phenomenal all year, 1,744 rushing yards on 214 carries. Then we have John Schuster with 1,186, and Garrett Harold with 1,045 rushing yards. Then uh, as far as passing, we talked about Stahl with 1,760. Tanner Shirley with 1,622 for Township. And Pace Prosser with 1,575 passing yards. And then Tristan Forneri with 1,548 passing yards. So that's um, you know a pretty solid showing there. And then receiving-wise, Jackson Byer, Conwell Township, 48 catches for 719 receiving yards. Ryan Blueball, Berlin, Brothers Valley with uh, 688 receiving yards on 50 catches. Then you got the uh, the Richland duo, Graydon Lewis with 29 catches for 596 yards, and Griffin Larue, 37 catches for 594 yards. Okay, we talked about some teams that might be surprised, or at least I did, because I think Richland is still the team to beat in six double A. Or looking at the teams that we have in our in the playoffs from our coverage area. And Bedford and Portage are on buys this week, so we can't forget about them, but they are just not playing this week. Which team has the biggest potential to surprise and make a deep run? Boy, I don't know how much a surprise would be, but I think Wimber, you know, they have a lot of potential. Uh, it wouldn't be a surprise if Wimber made a, a deep run. Yeah, right. So, but, uh, you know, everybody in – in that 2A, you usually run into Southern Columbia somewhere along along the line. Now, people have been saying, "Well, they're not they're not what they used to be. They're not what they but they they always seem to be pretty good, and they always seem to be a formidable opponent." Uh, a couple of those years, Richland met them in the state semifinal when Caleb Burke was a senior. Uh, that was a, that was a long road trip and uh, a, a pretty good game to watch. Richland struck early, and and then Southern Columbia did what they almost always do. To any opponent, and just pulled away, but um, yeah. Then, so then you go back to 2016. Ligonier Valley had that wild game yeah, with Southern Columbia. Yeah, that that was up at Bald Eagle or somewhere like that, or some. I remember that was a road trip too, but that that was yeah. At least it was in District Six. Yeah, 
And and if I remember correctly, that was a, a close game, I think. Was, yeah. It was a one-score game. Yeah, right, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, I don't know how much maybe Ligonier pulls off the surprise. Uh, you know, I don't know a whole lot about the, the Whippeal and, you know, I follow it just in the newspaper. That's about it. But that that would be interesting if uh, Ligonier can pull off a surprise. You know, if somehow Berlin upsets Wimber, I mean, you know, nothing would surprise me with them. They're always uh, – they're always in the hunt, you know. So, I, I will stick with Connemaw Valley, just because of that run game. Yeah. And if they can get, if they can move the ball the way they want to move the football, they are an exceptionally tough team to beat. You know what you're going to get against Connemaw Valley, but you still have to stop it. Yeah. And if Connemaw Valley can get defensive stops, and control the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And just dominate time of possession and just chip away at that def- whatever defense they're facing, they're going to be a tough out, especially in single A where teams may not be as deep or as physical as you might see in the higher classes. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they uh, we've said it in previous podcasts, just people know it's coming and they're ready to defend it. And somehow the Jays make it work. So, uh, that would be nice to, to see them take that step because, uh, you know, th- there's hasn't been a whole lot of playoff success for the Blue Jays uh, in recent years. Um, so that'd be nice to see uh, see them take flight, to use the old uh, bird reference. A one-time district champion, though, Connemaw Valley, though nobody on that team was born the last time the Blue Jays. Yeah, 1992. That was a great run because um, – I just remember so many different storylines emerged. Um, Sam Ross was on our staff that time, and I tipped him off. There, there was a, a wedding, and uh, one of the pl- star players, there was a family tie. There was something at the wedding. They were all around a radio and trying to listen to the game, and you know we ended up writing about that. And uh, Your old high school, Laurel Valley, played them in the district title game, and the week before they got beat up pretty bad in the uh, it Appalachian It didn't go so well for Laurel yeah. Valley that day. It was yeah. a very cold and bitter day. It was I at Ma- Mansion that. Park. I, re- I was there as a spectator. I remember that. And then they, they had, uh, Connemore Valley had a great win over Northern Bedford as well in a game they weren't uh, expected to win. So, And then they wound up playing Smithport. And one of the all-time great column questions, what's a hover? Yes. Yeah, that – there was an interesting story there, too, because of all the, the uh, luck, uh, when our preview, our, our picks came out, I think it was on, on Friday, even if the game was Saturday. I don't remember the, what day the game was played. But um, I think we all picked Connemore Valley to beat Smithport. And Sam Ross wrote a column, no disrespect intended, but you know how coaches can take something and make it. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, he wrote a column, what is a hubber? And he explained a hubber. It was named after, I believe, they were the hub city of the county seat or something like that. So he explained that. And then our picks, that was back when we had to write little snippets with the picks. And there were a couple of things said. Oh, I remember one of our our former uh, staffers, uh, Ron Musman, who covered – he came to us from papers up in Clearfield and all that. But anyway, he wrote something like, I never saw a good team from District 9 or <laughs> whatever oh, no. it was. But anyway, the, there was a guy who was on their coaching staff whose real job was uh, had him in Johnstown of all days that day. And I found this out like 20 years later. Like, you know, you guys were so motivated. We were talking to somebody. They go, yeah, one of the coaches was in Johnstown on business 
saw your paper and took that thing and brought it back and everybody was fired up and motivating the kids, showing them all these things. And, and, and it's just like funny to hear that 20 years later. Remember, this was years before social media. Yes, so, yes. You know, now you can put something out on Twitter, you can put something out on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, and you can get that instant motivation or you can feel slighted in real time. It was just blind luck that somebody from the Smithport staff picked up a copy of the Tribune Democrat that day in 1992, and they used it. I mean, yeah. that was, you know, that that's was how the on story the was board. told to me. So maybe it was a staffer, maybe it was like the dad of a player. But anyway, somebody for some freak reason was in Johnston the day that that paper came out, and they made a big deal out of it. And like I said, the story was not meant to disrespect. Uh, it was something like, hey, this is a cool name. What's it mean? Yeah. And they took it like, they're making fun of our name. <laughs> you know, so. And I mean, you go to the northwest pocket of the state, and there's just some great names. I mean, I look at Northeast High School. I think that's probably the par excellence of nicknames for Pennsylvania, the Great Pickers. Yeah. Week 11, we are, we're hitting that stride. We're hitting that playoff stride. So, you have anything else to add? No, I'm just ready for uh, another week. Uh, it may be a bit colder, but as long as we don't have that rain we had last week, uh, I'll be very happy. I I agree. I agree. So for Mike Mastovich, at Masty81, I am Sean Curtis, at SeanCurtis430, thanking you for listening to another episode of the TD Club, and congratulations, you have made it to the end. <laughs>